Lord, we thank you for your kindness. Yes, Lord. We are undeserving of your grace. We're undeserving, Lord, even to have the word of God revealed to us. Uh, Lord, you have welcomed us as the recipients of your truth. And Lord, to be able to to know you, uh, to to understand um, how you want us to live our lives, Lord, what the gospel is and how you've redeemed us and so many things, Lord, you have given us that we don't deserve. And especially, Lord, the, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you for, uh, for that. Thank you for um, the opportunity, Lord, now to sit under your word. I pray for my brother, Billy, that yeah. you would strengthen him, empower him, Lord, that you'd use him mightily this morning, we ask in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, Giving honor to our God and to my Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the Christ. And to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's good to be in your presence this morning. I greet you with Jesus' joy and Holy Spirit happiness and thanking God just for the, the privilege and the honor to be able to stand before you and to share with you the uncompromising truths of our God. I want to concur with your pastor that his friendship is truly a valuable, invaluable to me. And when I say Rod Phillips is my friend, that's not, he's not a ministerial acquaintance. He's my friend. And he has, throughout the years, done all the things that friends must do. And I appreciate him not only for his words of encouragement and the wisdom that he gives to me, to help me sort out and work through many of the theoretical and practical problems of ministry. But I'm also appreciative to him for the times that he has rebuked me lovingly, but nonetheless rebuked me. And that's what real friends are because the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend than the deceitful kisses of an enemy. And your pastor is truly a friend to me. And and I cannot thank God enough for him. And um, I'm thankful to him also for inviting me before you because uh, to refer to my preaching, at times my preaching can be very high voltage. (laughs) That's how people describe it. Um, And and, and he took a real chance on allowing me to preach to you. But I want you guys to understand this, that when you see those, those are cultural differences. And I want you to ignore the, the volume and the cultural differences and just look at whether or not I'm proclaiming the truth of God faithfully. And if that's happening, then ignore all the rest of that stuff, all the antics and stuff that come with me. Uh, it's, I'm just the product of my environment. <laughs> and so, I'm, but I'm grateful to God for, again, the friendship and the privilege to be able to sh- share with you. Uh, he's already introduced my wife, but I want to have her raise her hand again. That's my wife. That's, my, that's, that's the sugar in my coffee. Uh, I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold, when it's cold outside, I've got the month of May. You know? <laughs> That's my wife, Jaquay, and we thank God for her and also for all of my kids. They are my unit, my team in ministry. The scriptures have been read, and I would like to look at under the subject this morning, the communal life of the church. A very important subject, the communal life of the church. Modern advancement in technology, along with the growing trend to deal with people on as little a personal level as possible, has created a challenge to genuine fellowship and community. In addition, pragmatism in its feel-good thinking has created a situation in our world, in our country, where people are are impatient with people and institutions. We can always join another church, get a new friend, get a new job. As long as we have options, we feel that there is no need to work at preserving the relationships that we presently have. Because we have so many other relationships, we feel like that there's no need for me to have to deal with, with, with discomfort at any, sli- any sign of discomfort, we jettison the relationships we have and we move on to someone or to someplace else. 
That's the present state of, of the church where these feel-good feelings and all of the modern advancement in technology has created these challenges to genuine fellowship and community in the church today. It's difficult for people to come together and to live together. All of those things, I believe, are products of the fall, that we are challenged in this way to have genuine fellowship and community. And here's, here's my intent today in, in, this, in, in the brief time that God has given to me. In this brief time, I want to show you that, that, that genuine community and fellowship is possible for us as Christians. But we're going to have to depend on Christ to do it. Y'all heard what I said? If you heard what I said, just say amen. <laughs> I said genuine fellowship and community is possible if we depend on Christ. The book of Colossians, the letter to the book of Colossians, Paul is writing, and throughout most of the letter he's arguing about Christians living their lives in light of the fullness of Christ. And the fullness of Christ are the riches of Christ. And that is the abundant spiritual and eternal blessings that have been procured for us through his cross and through his sacrifice. And he's arguing that because there have been some men who have come into the church, who have entered into the church, and they have tried to lead people away from Christ by teaching that the path to spiritual maturity, the path to godliness, it's through, A, the purely observance of, of man-made rituals. They've argued that the way that we are to grow in piety, the way that we grow in godliness is not by depending upon Christ and his promises alone, but that the way that we grow in Christ is by looking outside of Christ to man-made observances. Not only that, but also the worship of angels. They were saying that if you worship angels... You could grow in godliness. And then they added to that, not just the worship of angels, they added that the way to grow in Christ is through extreme asceticism. That is that in, if you're going to really grow and become a real Christian and be really godly, then you're going to have to not enjoy all of the riches of God's creation, those things that God has given to us to be enjoyed by us in moderation and with respect, but enjoyed nonetheless. And they were teaching that in order to grow in Christ, you have to have all of these things. We see the idea of man, of them worshiping or growing in the knowledge of Christ through purely man-made observances. Look back at chapter 2. In chapter 2, he, make references, he makes reference to that in verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I was you. I wouldn't eat that if I was you. I wouldn't go there if I was you. Because all those things, the idea is that if you, if you, if you avoid the richness of God's creation, that somehow those things will make you godly. Godly. Not just that, but then the worship of angels. Now, now first of all, let me make, make, make this point here. That, 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 that men ought never to worship anything other than God. That our worship is to be a sign to God because God is all glorious. And we ought to worship the God of creation and not be attached to anything like that in creation. Thank God for LeBron James and his gifts and his talents. Thank God for Steph Curry. But I don't worship Steph Curry. I worship Jesus. Because as good as Steph Curry is, he don't make every shot. Jesus made every shot. And we ought to thank God because we have a Savior who never dropped the ball who never made a mistake, who never made stuff. And listen, he is, the, he is the ultimate personality. And we ought to worship him because he is all in all. He says the worship of angels, but also just, again, extreme asceticism. Look at verse, chapter 2, verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Here's the idea again, that if you really want to be godly, you can't enjoy nothing. You know, some people in my church say, you know, you shouldn't eat, 
you know, and people, well, you shouldn't eat all that, all that steak. You shouldn't eat all that chicken. You know, God gave me the freedom to eat chicken. <laughs> now, if you want to eat vegetables, God bless you. <laughs> when I see a steak, I'm going to bite them. No. <laughs> God gave us a freedom in Christ. And I'm not saying that those are freedoms that we have a right to abuse those things, but he has given us some freedom to enjoy these privileges. Now, notice, notice what's interesting about this is that Paul makes all of these, gives us a list of their teachings, and then he makes his own appraisal of those things in chapter 2, verse 23. Here's what he says. In spite of what they may have thought, in spite of how wise these practices may have appeared, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That all of those things, all of those practices, for all their worth, they were worth nothing. They produced nothing. They were of no valuable application. None of it made the person more godly or more pious. Because the only person who can make us like God is God himself. The only person who can make us like God is Christ. Because Christ is God. And Christ is the only efficacious support and aid to the church in helping us to be and to become all that God intends for us to be. That if we're going to be like Christ, if we're going to be godly, if we're going to have genuine community, we're going to have to do it resting upon the work of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to reflect on that truth as we see it in connection to communal life in, in, in three aspects. First of all, I want to look at the practice of the church. The practice of the church. And then I want to look at the education of the church. And then I want to close talking about the worship of the church. And again, I want you to see underneath all of that, that in order for us to do any of those three things, it depends on Christ. If we're going to, if we're going to display godliness in community, in our practice, if we're going to display godliness in how we, and how we educate and how we disciple each other, if we're going to display godliness in how we worship, the only way that we can do that is through Christ. Brothers and sisters, hear me and hear me well. Anything else other than resting in Christ and his sufficiency to accomplish any task is spiritual suicide. Y'all heard what I said? I said trusting in anything other than Christ as our sufficiency is spiritual suicide. I love, I love that, that, that quote by, uh, by Shakespeare when he says that you take my life when you take the means whereby I live. That's suicide, isn't it? Do you know how the church lives? You know how we live? We live in Christ. We live because of Christ, and that's the continual theme and the refrain throughout the book of Colossians. Actually, look at Colossians 2, verse 6 through 8. Are you there? In Colossians 2, verse 6 through 8, it reads like this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How? Rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You see that? Now, 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 now get the picture. The, the idea is this, is that as, as Christians, you are the plant. Right? Christ is the soil. Just as a plant depends on the soil for its nourishment and its sustenance, we depend on Christ for our life and our service. And to be separated from Christ is suicide because we depend upon him to maintain our very life. Over in John 15, Christ actually says that, doesn't he? He said, I am the vine, <laughs> ye are the branches. <laughs> if you abide in me, you produce much fruit. If, you don't, if we don't abide in Christ, we can't do any good. Y'all heard what I said? If we don't remain in Christ, and by that I mean, I mean this, keep a firm trust in the gospel and his promises, we can't accomplish anything that pleases God. Now, again, I want to look at this in three areas. Let's look at the first in the practice of the church. That's in Colossians 
chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, now in, in the previous verses, Paul has told them that, and actually in verse, look at verse number, in, in Colossians 3, look at verse number 10. No, I'm sorry, verse 9. It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, citizen, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. In the previous verse, he's shown us that, that the believer, the Christian, has been made new, that you are no longer what you used to be, that you have been changed, that Christ has renewed your heart. And let me make this point clear to us, that although sin still remains in the Christian, their hearts have been renewed through regeneration. And the idea is that in regeneration, the Holy Spirit implants in our hearts holy affection. Brothers and sisters, it's that holy affection the Holy Spirit plants in our hearts that becomes the texture of our life, the tenor of our life, that we have really been transformed. But let me make this point also clear. Not only have you been transformed, he says, that you are being transformed. Because though we have been transformed, we are not perfect. Can I get a witness here? How many of you believe you're perfect? I once, I once heard a brother say, well, he was in a board meeting. He asked, he asked the question, is any man, have you, do, you, do you guys know anybody's perfect? And, and one brother raised his hand and said, yeah, my, my ex-wife. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There, there, there's nobody... <laughs> who is perfect. All of us, although we have been saved and we have been, we have been changed, we're still wrestling with that old Adamic nature. And God in Christ is perfecting us. We are being renewed. That image of God that, has been, that, 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 that was effaced in the fall is being made more and more conspicuous through us in the, in the church. That God in the church is dissipating darkness and kindling his light. And the practical outworking of that new life that we have, listen here church, is to be in fellowship with other Christians. Now let me say this today, that now we have this idea today that being a part of the church or being integrated with the church is arbitrary. That it's a matter of choice. And let, let, let me be clear to you this morning. Let, let me say this, that perhaps what local fellowship you are a part of is a matter of choice. But being a part of the local fellowship is not a matter of choice. It's a mandate. That God calls for us to work out our, God, our new life in fellowship with other Christians. And guess what? You're going to need other Christians. You're going to need other believers to live the godly life. You're going to need other Christians to lean on, to encourage you, to pray for you, and to rebuke you if necessary to live the godly life. I'm thankful to God for this brother because he is a godly friend and he will tell me at times not what I want to hear but what I need to hear. You need godly friends. You know why? Because some of the friends we got are just dead friends. <laughs> we live in a culture of positive affirmation. Huh? I've had, I, my greatest challenge as a pastor is, is trying to help someone see the error of their way and their true character. You know why? Because so often our friends just puff us up and build us up. We're so wonderful. We're so perfect. And the moment I come, I'm the bad guy. Because my friends told me, I'm wonderful. I'm all that in the bag of chips. And I say, they lied. They lied. We need godly friends. And here's, here's a point of wisdom. Here's a point of wisdom for us. Just on this, on this point, a point of wisdom. Never, never make intimate friends with someone who is not a friend of God. 
Sometimes after church, I see us, we rushing out, we kind of get back to our real friends, and people who we call our real friends aren't, aren't in the church, aren't, aren't, aren't tied to Christ, and we're trying to get back to them. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, that bad company corrupts good morals. That we ought to make the time and, and take the time each week to get to know each other. I got people at high ground. I don't know if this happens at Gateway, but at high ground where I pastor. I got people who have been in the same church for over five years and who don't know each other's names. Now, how does that happen when we have an obligation to get to know each other? I thank God for you, sister, for approaching me early and, and, and introducing yourself. That's what Christian community is about. Huh? Us making time for each other, us carving out time. Guess what? The the Bible always puts a special note on our obligation to love those who belong to the same household of God. Look at Galatians 6 and 10. Galatians 6 and 10. Galatians 6 and 10. Am I making you guys sick yet? Okay, well, I'm not going to stop if I was. I, you know, Rod invited me. He's my friend. Y'all take it up with him. <laughs> Why did you do this? All right, Galatians 6 and 10. Are you there? Here's what it says. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. It's a matter of priority. Where are your priorities, church? That when you feel the time, I thank God for the time you spend in church getting to know and talking, because we ought to have conference with each other, getting to know each other, figure out where are our distractions, where are our problems, so that we can pray for each other, so that we can stand with each other. That's what the church should be. Now look at, if you don't think that I'm right about this, that's Galatians 6 and 10. Look at Hebrews 6 and 10. In Hebrews 6 and 10, the same idea. You there? And it reads like this. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name. Now, if you stop right there, you'd be like, oh, that's great. I've done a lot of things in the name of Christ on my job, on, with my family. No, he didn't say that. He says, for the love that you have shown for his name in this, in what? In that you serve the saints. The saints. Hereby we perceive, 1 John 3, that we have passed from de- death unto life and that we love the brethren. The brethren. Do you have love for God? Do you have love for his people? Do you have love for his church? And the outworking and the test of of new life is in how you love and how you sacrifice for those people who share your same local fellowship. Brothers and sisters, charity begins at home and spreads abroad. How can you say you love God who you don't see and you hate those who you go to church with every week? I'm not sitting by her. She get on my nerve. I can't stand her. I'm not going <laughs> to. Stop it. Stop it. We are the church. You listening to me? That it is this love. Church, listen, it's this love that we see in Colossians 3, verse 12, that is to be shown by us that expresses our new life. And it's, it's an essential part of Christian morality. Let me tell you how, how essential this is to Christian morality. That when Jesus comes back and graves the church and graves his people, that's going to be the marker. He's going to grade us on the love that we've shown toward each other. Now, I'm in Bible country. Look at Matthew. <laughs> Look at Matthew. 24. Are you there? Look at verse 40. I'm sorry, that, that's, not, that's, not, that's not it. 
Matthew 25, verse 40. Now, Jesus, Jesus has just said, when I, when I come back, when I was naked, you, you fed me. I mean, I mean you, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was, was, was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And the disciples are going to be, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're going to be blessed for this, brother. <laughs> That's brotherhood right there. <laughs> and you know what, what's interesting here? Is that the disciples are going to be astonished. They ask Jesus the question, when did we do these things? When did we ever see you naked and clothe you? When did we ever see you in prison and visit you? When did we see you hungry and gave something to eat? When did we see you thirsty and gave something to drink? He says, inasmuch as you have done this to the least of my brethren, you've done it also unto me. This is so important. This is an essential part of Christian morality. It's us learning how to live in love and benevolence toward each other. That, 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 that one of the ways that we testify to Christ in the primary way that we testify to Christ in community, in practice, is through love. It's through love. Now, now let me make this point clear to you. That, why that's important? Because it's, that, that, there's a difference between piety and pietism. There's a difference, right? Pietism is a, mis, is a misrepresentation of piety. Pietism is, you know what, stay away from everything that appears to be worldly and that has worldly vices. Christians shouldn't play cards. Christians shouldn't be in a pool hall. Stay away from all that stuff and you will be godly. And I know Christians who talk about, well, you know what, pastor, you know, I don't drink. I don't smoke. Don't play cards. Don't play dominoes. I don't sleep with men. I don't sleep around. I don't mess around. And my question is, then what do you do? Because Christianity is not just about what you avoid, being godly. It's about living a life of tangible love and goodness because God is good. Because God is loving. God is good both to the just and to the unjust. He rains upon them. He has the sun shine upon them. God is good to every, all of his creation. And how do we reflect the same thing? By being good to people in the church, even people in the church we don't like. Now, liking people, it makes virtue easier, but it don't make it impossible. <laughs> so you ought to develop a like for people. And I discovered this as C.S. Lewis has said, that when you do good for people, you find yourself liking them more. And when you choose to do injury and cause harm, you find themselves, those people who you dislike, you find them liking them even less. You see, your, your feelings ought to follow your obedience. And we've been called as a church to the duty of love. Love. Didn't, didn't Jesus say in John 13, verse 34, 35, did he say, by this, Shall all men know that you are my disciples? Ha! Ha! Ha, Jesus! By your love for each other. How does, how does our love for each other testify to the gospel and to the grace of God? I'm glad you asked. You asked us good questions. <laughs> the way that our love and community testifies to the gospel of Jesus Christ is because it shows that God's grace and the cross has the power to bring substantial healing to the divides brought on by Adam's sin. That the, th that the same stuff that hangs people up in the community is not a hang-up to God and to the power of his grace among in the church. That here in the church, I wish y'all got it. I wish y'all seemed a little bit more excited about it. That here in the church is the real possibility for genuine community. I know that we deplore what we see in these communities. But the power for real community is in the church and it's to be found in Christ. Because real community has to do with us not returning evil for evil but us returning 
good for evil. Listen, church. Colossians talks about us being patient toward each other. It talks about us being humble of mind. It talks about us forgiving each other as if anyone has a, has a grievance, a complaint against another, forgive them as Christ also forgive, forgave you, right? You know, it's interesting how people have these romantic ideas about the church, that somehow that when you go to church, everything is going to be perfect. Paul didn't believe that. See, in, the, see in, 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 in that text, there is a real appreciation for the ongoing reality of sin. Now, we are saved, saved people at times. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That Adamic nature comes out. And so I'm not going to lie to you and say that you go to church and, and that everything's going to be all right. You're never going to have any problem. No one ever going to hurt your feelings. The, the reality is, at times, you may be hurt even in the church. There are times in the church people will avoid you. There are times in the church people won't call you back, won't be there for you. There are times we can be hurt in the church because we still are sinners. But you know what we ought to be doing in those moments? While we are fellowshipping with like sinners, we should be applying God's grace and his mercy. If God gave us a second chance, we ought to give somebody else a second chance. We ought to walk around with a rope of a second chance and a bucket of mercy. Because God has been good to us. And we ought to be good to someone else. And that goodness resides principally, church, in developing a merciful temper and a compassionate heart. You know, you know it's unfit of any Christian at any point to ever think of someone else who falls into sin, who is struggling with sin, that you know what? They made their bed, let them lie in it. You know, there's a measure of self-righteousness in that. Can I make this clear to you guys? Church, listen. And I, and I, and I, I want to be loving when I say this. You ain't all that! <laughs> You're not all that. I, I, I know the world teaches us to, to, to view our nature in these glowing terms and these colorful terms, but the Bible says that all of us are wretches undone. Paul says over in Romans 7, 21 to 20, 23, oh, wretched man that I am. He didn't say that I was. He said that I am. I'm still wretched. And when you see in your own heart your own sin, things that you daily violate God's character and law in and thought, word, and deed, and know that he freely suspends those sins on account of Christ, then you ought to be able to forgive and to love someone else who sins against you. See, the concern here, let's go back to Colossians 3. Somebody said, I don't even know how, I don't even know how God just got excited. <laughs> Colossians 3, are you there? In verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone, if, if one has a complaint against another, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, the, the, the duty of the Christian is to learn love and benevolence. And the, and the principal motive behind all of these th good things is love. That what's driving me to be meek, what's driving me to be humble, I'm doing it because I love you. I tell people all the time to high ground, you know what? <laughs> the reason why I don't hit you when you talk crazy to me is not because I don't want to. I'm going to try to Because sometimes I do. Sometimes I feel like it would be good for you to be hit. <laughs> but God told us, God teaches me to win the battle not by force but by grace. 
God tells me to win through love. God tells me that we win when we don't do what our hearts tell us to do. We win when we do what he tells us to do. That when, you know, the Bible says when I would do good, evil is always present. You know, know, I I, I was reading scripture the other day. You know what the best exemplification of that is? The example of of, of when I would do good, evil is always present. Is when Peter and Jesus were in the garden of Gethsemane and he was coming to be arrested and he cut the guard's ear off. Now, guess what? Peter, in that instance, thought he was doing something good. He was defending his Savior's Lord. But in his most glorious moment, his actions were a disgrace and a dishonor to his God. And somehow we think that we are winning by being tough and by being uh, stubborn and refusing to yield and, and, and to forgive. We are not winning. We're losing. And we are bringing dishonor to our God. Here's the question. How do we as Christians in a community where people are often going to sin against us, injury is going to come, how do we control our impassioned feelings that proceed from injury caused to us or to those we love? How do we control that? How do we control that? I'll tell you how Paul tells us. Look at the verse. Look, look, look at Colossians 3. <laughs> Colossians 3, in verse 15, he says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, that's, that's, that's an interesting statement there. The peace of Christ ruling in your hearts. What does he mean by that? The peace of Christ ruling in your hearts. More than likely, what he means by the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts is that he's speaking in reference to the celestial and the future glory that the Christian will have. That when Christ shows up, all of the inequities and injustice that we may have experienced in this life are going to be righted. And he says, let those things in those moments where you're feeling, uh, let those things govern and rule your heart. God's going to get it right in the end. You know, somebody was, somebody was talking to me about, the, uh, and during the time when all of, this, all of these police brutality instances were coming, people were asking me, well, how, Pastor, how do you feel about that? Don't you feel like this, that this is racism? Don't you feel like, I said, listen here. And, and, and we, we, we ought to go to court. I said, stop it. I don't believe that any human court can bring us definite answers to some of our problems. Because human courts don't always get it right. But there is a judge who's coming back, and he will get it right. No matter, what gets, no matter what goes wrong in this life, that judge, when Christ returns, he's going to get it right. So I don't have to be, hold a grudge and try to get it right myself because when he comes back, he's going to get it right. Look at Romans 12. Romans 12. Romans 12, (laughs) verse 14, bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know every single act of injustice or inequity that we experience in this life, that God's going to repay that? He's going to repay it. And you know what? Can't nobody beat him repaying it. There's no one who can do a better job at repaying people for the wrongs that are done to his church. Second Thessalonians 1, he says this, that he will trouble those who trouble you. In other words, he's going to repay them for the wrongs that they do to you. So we ought not to, to, to harbor 
resentful feelings. We ought to let the, the peace of Christ, the, the idea that when he comes back, that we're going to be in, in glory with him and in celestial happiness. Let that, let that rule in our hearts. That's going to keep your, emotion, your emotions in check. There are times, whew, I'm not perfect, and I know my wife is not perfect either, but there are times that uh, I vex her last sanctified nerves, and she vexes mine. And I, in moments, I've got to say the peace of God <laughs> ruling our hearts, that one day I'm going to be with him in glory, and all of the challenges, all the frustrations that we have in this life are going to be no more. Those things are going to be righted when Christ comes back. Our life is here with Christ, and when he shall appear, then so also we shall appear with him in glory. Can you think about that, that when he comes back, that's it. Everything that saddens you, everything that hurts you, everything that gets you down will be no more. Wow. In a moment, all of the effects of sin that we've had to deal with in this life are going to be gone in a moment. So he says, comfort yourselves with that. Strengthen your heart in Christ in that. Now, we've looked at how Christ is able to help us and be an aid to us in the practice of the church. Let's look at how he is an aid to us in the education of the church. Colossians 3, here's what he says. In verse 16, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, both of these things in this section concern the function of the church. And, and there are two functions of the church. One is discipleship. The other is worship. And for both of those functions, those functions are always informed by the message of Christ, the word of God. That's why he says, let the word of Christ, the word of Christ, dwell in you richly. What is, the, what is the word of Christ? The word of Christ is the message of Christ. What is the message of Christ? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the message of Christ is good news, is the good news of peace with God through Jesus Christ. It is that peace with God, he says this, that we should Take in richly, richly. People ask me, people come to the house, you preach for a whole hour. Sometimes you just be in there for a whole hour. And I'm like, well, how much of the word do you, how much of the word do you want? I, I, I want, I want, oh, that's too much word. <laughs> no, it's not. This text teaches us. How much of the word of God should, should be, of God's message should we take in, should, should, should be supplied to us? How much of it? He says the, the word of God, the message of the gospel should be richly supplied. And why must it be richly supplied? It must be richly supplied because it is necessary for us to meet the wants and the needs of God's people. You don't need God's word to be in you richly and not poorly because there are going to be some needs that come up. And you have to be able to use the word of God, the message of truth, to its best advantage and being a comfort and an encouragement to those believers who join the same fellowship with you. That is your job. Thank God for Ron. Thank God for the elders here at Gateway. But they are not the only ministers. They are the ministers in, the, in, in, in a technical sense, but not in a general sense. All of God's people are preachers. You may not do it from the pulpit, but all of us are called to the ministry of the word of God. He says, let it dwell in you richly, in the real, the better rendering is among you, as you teach and admonish each other. How? In all wisdom. Now, Paul makes the same statement about himself in Colossians 1.21. He says, I, he says, I proclaim Christ, teaching all men and admonishing them in all wisdom. Now he's saying, you guys do the same thing with each other. How much of the word of God are you taking in? <laughs> you know, sometimes the, our intake of Scripture is what fails us in times of adversity. 
Because when we don't take it in, we don't have anything to draw from. We don't have anything to rest our hopes on in adversity. Because the word of God is not dwelling in us richly, it's dwelling in us poorly. The word of God is to be in copious supply, in rich supply in his church. This is a gospel community, and it can't be a gospel community without the gospel. The gospel. The gospel. And my rule is this. If some of you guys have your favorite show that lasts for an hour, well, I'm just going to take courtesy an hour to do my same thing. I'm going to preach for an hour because you watch your show for an hour. I'm going to give God a full hour. I may not take a full hour, but I'm going to give God a full hour. Because <laughs> the word of God is to take, be taken in by us richly. You're not, you, you're not here this morning for a snack. I just want a little snack. Give me three points in the poem. No, you're here, for, you're here for the whole entree. The Bible says, he tells Ezekiel, eat the scroll. Eat the scroll. Eat all of it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a preacher. I, I don't camp out in just one part of the Bible. I preach the whole Bible. I preach the whole counsel of the God. Because guess what? It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Y'all heard what I said? We got to take in all of God's word, all of his truth to be what God wants us to be. He said it ought to be taken in us coping, and it's necessary for the work that, we get, that we've been called to. Every Christian is called to minister the word to others. That's, that's, the, that's the education of the church. And let me say this, that our education in the ministry of Christ is not rich and complete unless we are educated in fellowship with each other. Let me tell you how the, one of the ways I feel like Education enriches us. You know, today, you guys have before you, if you don't know it, a black man. <laughs> and all of the cultural differences that come with me being black, y'all can see it. But this is to make, our, to make our experience and our walk in Christ rich because God didn't make us all the same. Somehow, somehow there, there, there was a narrowing in Christianity, and all of us have this cook this cookie-cutter's idea on how preaching is to be and how ministry is to be. No, God puts many gifts in the body of Christ. And all of those gifts are there for our enrichment. God didn't make just one thing in this earth. God made us all different, and we ought to enjoy the differences. I love it when Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 2, they were arguing, squabbling over the gifts of one Paul of the Apollos, at the bottom of chapter 2, he says this, all things are mine, and we are Christ. Do you know that in Christ Jesus, everything has been, every blessing, every gift has been bestowed upon you, the church, and guess what? You know, Rod is mine. He's mine. John Calvin is mine. I'm a black man. Martin Luther is mine. All of it is mine because I am in Christ and Christ has bestowed every gift and every blessing upon his people. And we ought not narrow ourselves in our fellowship. But also this makes the point. Why, why, why is fellowship important? Because sometimes we narrow ourselves in our study. In our study. You know, when I'm at home and I'm, and I'm studying by myself, there are a lot of blind spots in my study, a lot, a lot of prejudices that I have that I bring to a certain passage of Scripture. And, and, and what happens is when I get among other people and start discussing what I, what I plan to preach, I start seeing all the offbeat ideas that I have in my head. So I'm saying, well, wow, that's crazy. I'm, I'm glad I have the conversation with you. I have to go home and correct that. <laughs> because it's, in, it's in, the inter in the interchange of ideas in fellowship that we get to adjust differences and glorify Christ that we see, we see the sufficiency of Christ not only in practice of the church, but in the education of the church, but lastly, we see the sufficiency of Christ in the worship of the church. Look at verse... Look at Colossians 3, 16, the B part. He says, singing with hymns, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
Singing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. That's worship. That concerns the, the, the believers paying adoration to God. He tells us how the word of God itself ought to inform our worship. Because we want to do God's will and we want to accomplish his purpose, not only in our practice, not only in our, in our education, but we, all, we want to accomplish his will and his purpose in our worship. In our worship. Now, here's the question. How are we to sing and to worship God? How is worship to be in the body of Christ? And I'm answering for you, exultant. Exultant. That we ought to, when we come to church, we ought to rejoice triumphantly. Now, some, some, sometimes we don't feel the Bible when I say rejoice triumphantly. Let me make this, make this comment. That, that there, that I believe this, that there is a place in God's church, one, for serious reflection. But I also believe that there's a place in God's church for exultant praise. Y'all heard what I said? Now, now some of y'all, when y'all come in, y'all sing them songs, no. <laughs> David said, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all. <laughs> when I do that at my church, the baby start crying. They go, <laughs> but the idea is that we ought to worship the God who created us intensely, passionately. Y'all heard what I said? Now, you're talking about a David who, when he, when he worshiped God, he danced out of his own clothes. And we're talking about, well, you know what, you don't take all that in church, all that's too much. No, 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 no. We're talking about God. No, you know what's interesting? When you go to a basketball game and Steph Curry makes that shot, you're like, woo! Take it away, wait a minute! When you come to church, don't you do? Oh, no, no, we often say, well, you know, God, God knows my heart. And my expression of God is private. <laughs> True. He does know your heart. He does know your heart. But he wants what's in your heart to come out of your mouth. Y'all heard what I said? Does it work if I tell my wife, hey, I love you, you baby, you're beautiful. If I think it in my heart, I thought, I've always felt this in my heart, and she never hears me say it. God wants to hear you say it. He wants to hear you say you love him. He wants, to, he, want, he wants your worship to be exalted. Because you know what? We can rejoice triumphantly because we have a triumphant Savior. Christ Jesus gained victory over death and the grave and all, all of the demons of hell. And, we, he, and he rejoiced in that triumphantly. And our praise, our worship ought to be exalted. We ought to be passionate. And how we worship God. We ought to worship God intensely. You know why I preach like this when I'm done? Because when I get to heaven and I stand before my Savior, I want to be able to tell him, Lord, I left everything there. I gave it all to you. I gave it all to you because you deserve it all. You are a great God, and you are greatly to be praised. He didn't say lightly. He said greatly. You mean tell me that's the best praise you got? That's the best thank you that you can tell God? That's, that's the best hallelujah that you, that you can give? No. And let me make this also point here. Let me try, try to, be, be, to be clear. Praise is never... It's never quiet. It's always loud. You don't believe me? Just look at the book of Psalms. Look at the book of Psalms. There's a lot of noise in Psalms. Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Right? This is what David says. Right? Praise him on the, on, on, on the timbrel. Praise him on the heart. Praise him. Let everything in our breath praise the Lord. Exalt him. Rejoice in the Lord. See, it's that kind of exuberance, it's that kind of excitement, that kind of passion, that kind of energy that we should bring to worship because we're worshiping a great God. And don't tell me that you're not emotional because all of us are emotional. 
The question is, are you emotional? Are you passionate about God? Because that transcends all cultural differences, that we are called to be passionate about our God and express that to him. It should be exalted, but also it should be reverent. Look at, look at Colossians 3, verse 17. He says, singing with God, with him, spiritual songs, I'm sorry, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It should be, it should be, it should be, it should be exultant. Then it should be grateful, appreciative. That we are worshiping and praising God, not because of the circumstances. We're praising God because of, 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 of the blessings and the reward that, he, that we have in Christ Jesus that, he, that, that avails, that is profitable to us in community with each other and in the larger society. We're praising him for those blessings. I'm thanking God every week that through his grace and through his mercy, I can display his character. Because Christ is all and in all. He's in all of us through the indwelling spirit who is shaping our character and making us more and more, and more holy. So I don't thank God. I, I, I don't pat my own self on the back when I get it right. I thank God for getting it right because without him, I couldn't get it right because he works in me both to will and to do what pleases him. Apart from him, we can do nothing that pleases him because Christ is our only efficacious aid as a church community. Our worship should be exalted. Our worship should be appreciative. But lastly, our worship should be reverent. In verse 17, he closes by saying this. And I'm going to say this and I'm going to sit down. Because <laughs> I know if you ain't tired of me, you're getting there. But he says this, and whatever you do, Whatever you do, this is a principle, this is a rule for you. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says, do everything in the name of Jesus. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That the Father's name, that the Son's name is to be held in high regard by us. And what he means by this is that it's, number one, as Christians, nothing that we do, none of our actions or conduct should misrepresent God's character. That's number one. There are people who say, you know what, well, 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 God is all love, and God don't care about me, how I live, me being a homosexual. He's, he's all love. My God, your God is an idol. The real God is a God who's not just loving, he's a God who's holy. And nothing that we do in word or in action should misrepresent his holiness. Secondly, it means this, that, that, that we ought to be not just respectful, not misrepresent him, but it means this, that we ought to do nothing in the church superstitiously. You see, what the problem was in the book of Colossians, that, that, that these people had assigned God, had connected his name to some superstitious practice and say, well, God told us this. We see angels. They showed us this is how we should worship him. This is how we should live for him. Brothers and sisters, we are the, the name of God in our lives as we consecrate ourselves to him in godliness and through service is to be held in high regard. That we ought to worship God. It should be exultant. It should be appreciative. And finally, it should be reverent. I love, I love Psalm 2 and 11. And I'll close with that. In Psalm 2, Psalm 2, verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. <laughs> right? He's saying, have a good time, but don't go too far. <laughs> right? that, 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 even, that even, even in our joy, there ought to be some, some, some semblance of respect and honor to our God.
everything we do. I've told us this morning that the possibility for real, genuine community is possible through the support of Christ. That if we, if we trust in Christ, if we look to Christ, his provision in salvation as a church, that we, could, that we could live together and we could display God's character in our practice, in our education, and in our worship. But let me say this, that if you are not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you could do, whether in practice, in the, in the church community, or in worship, that God will receive. Because you are not in a state of grace, but you are in a state of condemnation. But you know what God did? God sent his son from heaven. That son gave his life for you, lived and died, suffered the penalty on your behalf. And if you would just repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved today. Will you put your trust in him today? Will you trust Christ completely for salvation? Let us pray. Lord, how we thank you and how we praise you for the life that you called us to live together. But we thank you more, importantly, Lord, for giving us the resources because only you, Lord, are adequate for our life that we are called to live together. Lord, you give us the means to live in harmony and love and peace in your church. You give us the means, Lord, to disciple one another. You give us the means, Lord God, to worship you appropriately. And we pray, Lord God, that we would be able to look to your scriptures and to know, as you said in your word in Colossians chapter 2, that in Christ we are complete. We ask this in Jesus' name. And for his sake, I pray. Amen. Amen. Billy, I still don't know what you think or believe. You, know? <laughs> you, need, to, you need to be a little more passionate. Less passionate. Um, you know, I, I, I did not ask Billy what he was going to preach on. Um, I did not tell him what to preach on. And I believe totally in the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Um, there's something that God wants us to hear this morning, friends. Um, as you leave, as you go home, as the word of God was pre presented to you today, God is at work yeah. um, seeking to do his will yeah. in your heart personally yeah. and in our hearts corporately. Yes. Um, this is his church. Yes, it is. Thank you, Jesus. And we are privileged to be um, the recipients of the blessing of his church. Yes. And I just want to challenge you. Yeah. Um, set aside the uniqueness of the fact that Billy was preaching. Yeah. And allow what unites us all together. Yeah which is the word of God yeah. breathed out by the spirit of God Thank you, Lord. for yeah. the people of God yeah. to be what resonates in your heart. Yeah. And ask God to show you what you need to do with what was proclaimed today. Yeah. 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 I love you guys. Yeah. I love our church. Yeah, yeah. But we need each other. That's right. And we need to see the importance of what it means to be in community together. Yeah. Yeah. When we sing together, yeah. we sing and praise to God, but we also, as Ephesians says, sing and praise to one another. another. Yeah. <laughs> we are an encouragement to one another. Yeah. When we minister the word, we're there to do it together. I'm so thankful, Billy, for your ministry. Thank you. Thankful for your partnership. Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to invite Billy was so that you guys would get to know him. Yeah. If you're ever going to play hooky, <laughs> I give you permission to play hooky at higher ground. Um, Thank you, Lord. Let's pray, Amen. and then we'll sing a song yeah. in closing. Lord, you are...
so kind to us. And Lord, we, we want to place ourselves under your purposes, under your truth, and allow you the freedom to shape us and fashion us to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, to be the imperfect but growing kind of church you've called us to be. Yes. And so, Lord, would you take what has been delivered to us this morning and, and have your way with us. Lord, I pray for Higher Ground Church. Lord, you have placed a special man and a special church in the context of a place that needs the gospel desperately. Yes, please. And Lord, I just pray that you would use Billy and Jaquay and the, the members of Higher Ground Church to, to be a faithful light the gospel will be proclaimed, that, that life in Christ would be proclaimed, that people will truly see their need and their struggle and their sin yeah. for what it really is. Yes. Lord, through this one place of ministry that you've called to be your own, yeah. bless them, Thank you, strengthen Lord. them, encourage them. And Lord, like them, Lord, we, we ask for you to do your work in us and through yeah. us. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for who you are. Now, Lord, as we bring things to a close, may we celebrate. Yes. May we worship you. May we praise you, Thank you Lord. for who you are. Yes. You are worthy of it, Lord. In your precious name, amen. Amen.